everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fitness, Food, and Freedom Podcast. I'm Jordan Stoltz, your host, and today we're talking about nutrition, and I'm going to be talking about kind of a little recap of some things I've implemented in 2022 that have made a big difference in my nutrition and what I would probably do with clients, uh, some things to really help the process of hitting your target numbers, uh, making more progress in fat loss and muscle gain, and just better adherence overall are really the main things that I've been focusing on. So we're going to review that a little bit today, some different things that made a big difference for me, three of the biggest changes I've made in 2022. Enjoy the episode, and if you want a written version of this episode, you can view it at stoltzfit.com slash blog, and if you have any questions for me, or uh, maybe want to submit something to the podcast or work with me in any capacity, you can go to stoltzfit.com slash contact. Fill out the form there, and we will be in touch. Thank you for listening, and let's get started. All right, this is episode 441 of the Fitness, Food, and Freedom podcast, and I want to talk about today... Uh, three different things that I've made as changes to my nutrition in 2022. These are things that have made a big difference for me and I think will help you guys too. Of course, a lot of the things um, with nutrition and diet are relatively subjective in the sense that what works for me and might not work for you, but the key is to find things that do work best for you to help you adhere to your diet and feel your best. I think that um, it, you know a one size fits nobody kind of thing is totally true for nutrition, but there are principles and general guidelines that can help anybody, I think, and hopefully today's episode gives you some ideas on maybe some things you can implement in your own nutrition, uh, things you might have trouble with like adherence or hitting protein or whatever. Uh, hopefully today's tips are going to help you like they helped me uh, in in um, this year's nutrition. So we'll get started right with number one, and that is shorter and more aggressive fat loss phases. Something you might be surprised, I guess, for me to talk about because I, of course, am like the sustainability guy. I feel like a sustainable diet is the best diet no matter what it is. If you feel best and can stick to keto the best, do that. If you can you know, track your macros and that helps you hit your diet, that's the best one for you. Whatever is going to help you stick to it long term and make a good lifestyle change, that's probably the best approach for you. I do think that there are general things that are better for everybody like uh, being a little bit flexible and you know, taking things maybe a little slower overall and um, just being able to fit in foods in moderation so you can kind of handle any situation that comes at you. That's my general philosophy of nutrition, but um, I have been experimenting 2022 with shorter fat loss phases, both for me and clients, and I've seen a lot of success with it. So, uh, you know, in general, you'd think as a sustainable kind of diet guy, I would think, uh, you know, to do longer diets that have a smaller deficit, maybe that you can stretch out a little longer, feel better on, have more energy, and uh, you know you don't have to fight that severe calorie deficit feeling, the hunger, the irritability, the risk of falling off the wagon, that kind of thing. What I've really come to realize this year, though, is that there's two sides of that coin. On one hand, 
it can help you to have a smaller deficit. Sure. You're, um, you know, you have more energy. Like I said, your hunger is not going to be as high. You can probably fit your different foods that you like in a little bit easier. But the bad side of that, the ugly side is that you will have to diet for longer. If you're only losing half a pound a week, you're probably going to have to diet for, you know, several months to see any meaningful progress. Now, on the other hand, if you're dieting faster and, you know, you're losing a couple pounds a week or you're shooting for that anyways, your diet could be much shorter, like six, eight weeks instead of 16 to 20 weeks. And that makes a big difference uh, as well in sustainability and adherence because I, you know, it's, it's like a ticking time bomb to be in a deficit and on a diet. If you're in a diet all year, you're probably not sticking to it. Uh, and if you're, you know, in a diet for 12, 13 weeks, it's only a matter of time until something comes up, a vacation, a holiday, um, anything, or just a lack of adherence where you fall off the wagon. So you have to realize that in a sense, it's better to just get out of the diet as fast as possible. So that's where the shorter and more aggressive fat loss phases kind of come in is where instead of, uh, you know, doing a long drawn out diet, that's a little bit higher calorie. You just bite the bullet, drop the calories, be disciplined, meal prep, don't go out to eat these kind of things like really buckle down and get that diet over with in eight weeks or less. And in eight weeks or less, you could definitely lose 10 to 20 pounds. And I think that's totally possible. Whereas if you were at a pound a week or less, it would take you 20 weeks to do that. And that is way more likely to set you up for failure and falling off the wagon than um, maybe a shorter diet that's more aggressive. So it's something I've been playing with, seeing a lot of success in. And the cool thing about tracking macros and calories is that you have the power to get out of that diet in an intelligent way whenever you want to. So if you feel like I can't do this anymore and it's been four weeks, you can jump up to maintenance calories for one week, regulate everything, drop back down, kind of do these little waves. If you're just winging it, it's a lot harder to eyeball what's a big deficit, what's not, what's maintenance, what's just me going off track completely. You're a lot more freestyle. So I do recommend tracking for that reason, but something to try. The next thing that I'm going to be talking about today that I've made as a change is tracking even when you're not anywhere close. Now, this is for people who track calories and macros, but you could also, I guess, in a way, implement it and think about it in a sense that you're just on track, like you're still following the same principles. If you eyeball your food, eat in moderation, focus on protein and vegetables, that kind of thing, uh, you could apply it, although tracking it definitely makes more of a difference because of the accountability aspect. Now, I was actually, this the reason I started doing this was I was on a video call with my boss where I work for a nutrition company and looking at his nutrition tracker personally. And he had days where he was, you know, obviously at like a barbecue or something was nowhere close to his target macros on his maintenance goal, but he still tracked. He just kept in the habit tracked everything he ate. And I kind of took a lesson from that and was like, okay, it's actually crazy how he tracks everything, even if he's not even anywhere close, because my honest uh, way of doing it is I'd probably be like pretty good, pretty right on track or pretty close within five, 10 grams on everything, you know, for 10, 11 days in a row. But around that two week mark, or maybe a little bit less, uh, there'd be something thrown in there where I'd be like, okay, I'm going out to eat. I'm going to uh, a potluck, a barbecue, 
and it's going to be so hard to track. I'm not even going to track this day. I'll just kind of like skip today, focus on some general protein options and things and eyeball it. That's okay. And it definitely does serve as a mental break from tracking if you need that. But I found this year that even just estimating and tracking in those times goes a long way because you're kept uh, just accountable. And that is pretty powerful to actually know you have to log the food. So you automatically make kind of better choices. Like you're choosing things that you can track like protein, vegetables, simple grains, fruit, that kind of thing. You're not necessarily like not eating because you can't fit it in. It's just that uh, you still have to track it. So you're accountable to what you're choosing to put on your plate, how much you're doing, and you're being aware of portion sizes because of that. That's really big. And I think it also shows you kind of in a good way, in a powerful way, the power of averages and how you can be totally off one day and by the end of the week still average out just fine. One day in the course of a week or two isn't going to throw you off that much if you're practicing some moderation and being kind of careful. So it is very, very important to um, to track and just to keep tracking even if things aren't right. It's kind of like going to the gym even if you don't feel like going to the gym or it's kind of like you know maybe you fall off your program a little bit, but you're just going to kind of mess around in the gym. You still write down those weights and you still uh, keep up with, with the habit. You're keeping up with the habit, building some good habits and uh, staying accountable to your overall goal. That should be important to you. Now, the last thing is more of just like a uh, hitting your targets hack. And the most common question I get at work by far and with coaching is, I can't hit my protein, how to hit my protein, can you lower the protein? That's pretty much very common because the truth of the matter is a lot of people nowadays in 2022 eat way too many carbs and fat and way too little protein for their goals and their body composition. So how do you hit protein? Well, ideally, you would have a few meals a day, three to five probably, and have protein at each meal and base your meal around that. So if you have to eat 150 grams of protein, that would be 30 grams at each meal for five meals or 50 grams for three meals, roughly, right? And it can vary, but splitting it up and basing around a protein source is the best kind of meal planning strategy. That can be tricky though, because what if you have a meal where it's spaghetti and you don't have any protein? Well, ideally you'd include some kind of protein at the meal, a protein shake, um, you know, some meat, something, but you don't always have that. And I know that's true because that happens to me all the time where you have like, okay, it's so like beans and rice for lunch. We have a pot of beans out in the kitchen right now. If I have beans and rice and cheese, I get a little bit of protein from the cheese and the beans, but maybe like 20 grams. And if I have to hit 190, uh, you know, that's not going to be enough for that meal if I eat four times a day. So, enter protein bombs. And this is essentially a tracking strategy where protein bombs is the name I came up with it, but it's just having a snack or a breakfast that is just like a destroyer of your protein targets. Like it just knocks out so much. You don't even have to worry about it the rest of the day. Now this can be, I'll give you some examples of things I've used. So an egg scramble with meat left over from the night before. So say you have some, um, 
chicken breast or let's say you have ground beef, you have tacos uh, and you have leftover in a container. The next morning you make a few eggs, maybe throw that meat in with the eggs and scramble it, maybe even pour some egg whites from a carton to mix in with that and you get a 50, 60 gram of protein breakfast. Uh, Another option that I'd probably use more because it has less fat even is just like a big old protein shake for breakfast. It's all right, right? You can throw it back. It's quick. It's easy. And it gets 50, 60 grams of protein. No problem. My go-to protein bomb though is either blended cottage cheese. So it's smoother or Greek yogurt plain mix in like a scoop or two of whey protein in that, and then put some kind of crunchy toppings like cereal in there. That is the go-to because the Greek yogurt alone has 40 grams of protein in a bowl in just a cup or two. And then you mix in a a scoop or two of protein that's another 25 to 50 grams. So you're hitting maybe 80 grams of protein in just a snack. And you can have that at night and you can plan on that. So, uh, you know, you know it's coming up and, you know, you can subtract your protein by 50 to 80 essentially. So if you have to hit 150, now you can hit 90, 100 grams, and you know that's pretty easy to split up over a few meals. And then all of a sudden, it's not a problem anymore. And hitting protein is a lot easier. So it is ideal to split up protein kind of evenly, but it's not such a big deal uh, that you know you should stress about it. I would say include protein bombs like this if you have trouble hitting protein, and it'll make it a lot easier and allow you more flexibility for your actual meals, which long term will help with adherence. Because if you can't eat the bean and rice bowls and you love them because they just don't have enough protein, you're probably not going to have fun with your diet. But if you just knock out a ton of protein for breakfast and then can choose whatever foods you want, pasta dishes, bread, sandwiches, you know, whatever for the other meals, you're going to have a lot more uh, flexibility and feel better on your diet and the choices you can make on it. So those are the three things uh, that I've implemented this year. I think that they will make a big difference for you if you implement them as well. Um, you know, a big, a big component of diet is sustainability, but these things are things that have helped me sustain my diet and adhere better and kind of keep up with, with different things life throws at you. Um, more to come for the podcast. And if you want to view a written version of this episode, you can go to stoltzfit.com slash blog once again. And uh, thank you for listening to today's show, episode 441 of the podcast. Appreciate all you guys tuning in. Till next time.